0: This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. In the Canadian justice system, animals' interests are rarely represented, but the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Pawn Order podcast, and these are their stories.
1: everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the Paw & Order podcast. I'm your co-host Camille Lapchuk, joined by my co-host Peter Sankoff. Hey, hey Peter.
0: Hey Camille. I sound, How are you? I sound a little nasally.
1: Oh, are you sick?
0: I am sick as a dog, Camille, which is appropriate for the Paw & Order podcast. Where did that expression yeah. come from anyway, sick as a dog?
1: I, I don't know me neither. No, dogs are used in all kinds of bizarre expressions like that and it doesn't seem to have any sort of logical because, sense, but
0: The funny thing is I've I've rarely if ever seen my dog sick and when I did have a dog who was occasionally would it seemed to catch a cold, you could tell by the sneezing. He was still pretty active. Like I'm not active, Camille. So I think I'm sicker than a dog. I think that's the expression we should <laughs> use.
1: <laughs> well, that's a bummer. Um you should take some elderberry extract. That like sambuca juice that works for me
0: oh god um i i think it was all those planes and trains camille when you get on planes and trains you're taking your life into your own hands with illness
1: Well, yeah, you just got back from uh, another trip out to the eastern part of the country, didn't you?
0: That's right, I did. And do you know one other thing, Camille? I don't know about you, but this is just, this is very personal for our listeners. I want our listeners to know I'm getting very personal with them right now. Um, I don't know about you, Camille, but, like, I was sick exactly one month ago. And personally, I feel like it's against the the statutory sick act for you to get sick twice in a month like I just I think that crosses some invisible line that I feel is just blatantly unfair
1: yeah I totally agree I was sick in the summer and I have not been sick since then and I'm really really gonna try to avoid getting the flu this season because I'm just too busy uh got my flu shot already hope you have too hope all the listeners have FYI there's a vegan flu shot just ask for the one that's not made with eggs but get it either way.
0: Well, I've got mine too, but it, I, don't, I don't think I have the flu. Anyway, that's enough about my illness, Camille. I apologize to the listeners. You're going to have to hear the nasally drone. And at, my guess is at least one sneeze. That's my guess.
1: All right, well we'll see. If, we'll see if we can keep it to one sneeze. So right. why don't you tell us about your trip out east?
0: Well, my trip out east was nothing uh, uh, special except I got to see the Pawn Order crew, which was really fantastic. Uh, so that was one of the highlights of the trip. I was out for a criminal law conference, met a lot of wonderful people, a couple of Pawn Order uh, supporters, Camille. Did you know that? Woo! A couple of awesome. people mentioned, they come I up know to you from Pawn Order. No, no, they didn't. But when I introduced myself, someone said, oh, I know you from Pawn Order. I was like, oh, fantastic. So that was great. Cool. And uh, I got to spend some time. We had uh, we enjoyed the vegan menu at Il Fornello, which I didn't know there was a vegan menu, but very, very formidable. And, yeah, uh, we had
1: a little animal justice team lunch, and Il Fornello's on the Danforth. It's got other locations. They have an amazing vegan menu
0: yeah and that was about it it was just a quick trip in and out uh, because i'm coming back in two weeks time so boy it's a lot of travel out there
1: yeah yeah cool
0: mm. what about and, you camille super busy
1: well yeah busy we're, we're planning all these holiday parties so november 29th in vancouver that's friday november 29th december 6th in toronto also on a friday And Ottawa is officially confirmed for December 13th. So if you want to come to any of these parties, and we would love to have you there, if you go to animaljustice.ca, there's a a banner on the main homepage, and you'll see where you can click through and RSVP to them. So it would be awesome to have you guys. Well, yes, Camille.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I also really want to update people on Voiceless for Animal Justice, which I know I was pumping up big time the last couple episodes. And that, of course, was the challenge where people go silent for 24 hours to raise money to help us carry on the legal fight for animals and also to show solidarity with the animals whose voices are silenced by industries. And uh, we actually raised over $27,000 this year. The goal was $25,000, so we surpassed it, which was amazing. So huge thank you to everyone who took part and went silent for a day and everyone who donated in support of it or shared on social media
0: congratulations camille you were quiet for a whole day hard to believe
1: yeah yeah it was it was challenging especially because i was traveling on the train that day so i had to like you know be kind of rude to people who came around and asked me if i wanted things i'm just like "Mm." oh shaking my head
0: well you just did four times as many tweets instagrams and texts as usual i noticed your output sort of jumped that day
1: yeah yeah that's right i needed an outlet somewhere
0: well, now I should say, by the way, um, since the next podcast is going to be, it sounds like, Camille, we've organized that our next podcast is going to be one of those in-person events since I'll be in Toronto. This is sort of the last podcast before the December 6th holiday party where I will be attending. So I wanted to uh, announce my, um, my um, special for Pawn Order listeners who are attending the party. Listen carefully. I will be attending with my daughter my daughter Penny, and if, you, if any Pawn Order listeners are out there and come up to my daughter and, and tell her how lovely she looks, that'll be a contribution to Animal Justice. I'll make a $20 contribution for everyone who tells my daughter how lovely she looks. But I'm warning you, Kim Carroll, if you announce that over the loudspeaker, the entire offer will be voided. So don't do that. This has to be for All genuine right, pawn order listeners. And let me say, if you ask Camille where she's going to be gallivanting to next, I'll throw in an extra $5. <laughs>
1: Ooh, okay, I'm going to keep track of these ones. All right, guys, that's that's your challenge. Come to the party. Come find us and help, help empty, empty Peter's pockets for Animal Justice. <laughs>
0: that is what we have to do. We're going to do it. We're going to do it upright for this special occasion.
1: Oh, cool. All right. So anything else going on with you?
0: Well, Camille, it was actually a very big week for me. Um, And I say that because uh, ever since I was a little law sprout way back 25 years ago. I have been fascinated with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and uh, with using the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, And I never really thought it would happen because I went into academia and I left practice. And I had actually worked for two years, believe it or not, with the federal government to defend against charter challenges. But I never got to be on the other side until a couple of weeks ago when I argued my first ever charter challenge. And uh, we just found out, Camille, on Tuesday that we won. Our Charter Challenge oh. at first instance And it was, I gotta tell you Camille One of the most exciting moments of my life It was really fantastic Like when you're using this constitutional document To try and strike down a law that the government has passed It's really exciting
1: Wow, well congratulations That's amazing I, I didn't know about this until just now that you told me I knew you were doing wow. it Wow, you long missed. Long history, you so missed.
0: You You must have missed Twitter the other day Because we were tweeting yeah, about it I've had
1: it. a busy week yeah, I haven't been on Twitter much. Well, that's awesome. Way to go. Thank and you. And do you know yet if the Crown is appealing? Or are you going to have to defend this at the Court of Appeal?
0: So believe it or not, we're not even done yet. The Crown wants to raise a Section 1 justification, which I think they're going to have great difficulty doing uh, once we found, because it was a Section 7 violation. So I think they're going to have an incredibly tough time. And then in terms of appealing, um, the vagaries of the criminal justice process being what they are, Camille, we have to win our case first. So the, oh, my, my client, my, our client has to be acquitted for the crown to be able to appeal. That's the kind of weird thing about law that people don't understand. They always think, oh, this decision has been rendered and now it's going to go up to the court of appeal because it's a big case. Well, it depends who wins. Right. If we if we if we lose the case, we can't appeal this ruling because we want it. So it's a it's a weird sort of thing, the way in which uh, criminal justice appeals work.
1: Wow. Well, that's yeah, it's pretty exciting for you. It was very exciting. It was a career highlight, I'm sure.
0: Oh my god, it was a career highlight. Going to the Supreme Court was amazing, especially the first time. But uh, this was right up there, Camille. I gotta tell you, I've just, you really get an I, I I honestly felt it in a way that I hadn't felt other decisions before. I know that some of the other decisions I've been involved with have made law, Camille. Like, I'm aware of that, right? Because they were big cases and they changed the law a little bit. But this is different. Like, it really felt powerful as a citizen to be there and saying, no, government, what you're doing is unfair. And this needs to be challenged. And as a result, when the judge agrees with you, and you know, the power of the state is sort of saying, no, this is a great law, we need it. It's 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 really a cool feeling. I, I, I felt very, very vindicated. And it just felt good all around.
1: Well, that's the kind of thing that makes me proud to live in a country that has a charter of rights and freedoms, too. I mean, I was in New Zealand, as everyone knows, a couple months ago, and they don't have such a thing. And Uh, there's lots of other things to commend about the New Zealand system, but the inability to go after laws in the way that we do, that might be problematic for various reasons is, is kind of troubling. So yeah, it's, yeah, it is, it is great.
0: And I said that to my students as well. I mean, we're getting off topic, but the charter is important for a variety of reasons. And, and I said to them, like, I, it's not that I don't trust the democratic process, but the democratic process is often short-sighted. You know, and makes decisions that that are not always well thought out and sometimes are very short-sighted. And I I think it really helps to have a constitutional document that can provide a a sense of counterbalance uh, to what's going on. So I'm obviously a big charter fan. I always have been. But I thought this was just to, to, to use it personally was fantastic.
1: Well, congrats. Congrats. Thank you so much, Camille. Very proud to know you, Peter.
0: (laughs) Oh, gee. Let's not get crazy, Camille. And you, I believe, are still talking it up, Camille, in a variety of places, aren't you?
1: Oh, yeah. A bunch of stuff going on, as usual. Uh, I I forgot to add this to our list of things to discuss, but I, I did a cool thing at U of T, University of Toronto Faculty of Law, on Monday of this week, which is actually my alma mater. Uh, lawyers doing cool things. So I showed up and talked about my career, how I got into animal law, and uh, what kind of work animal justice does in this field. And that was super fun, super engaged group of students, many of them in the animal law club, but a bunch of them who weren't and just showed up because they were interested. And then the week before that, I was at U of T as well for a food law conference, which was which was lots of fun. Um, spoke about basically why we don't regulate animal welfare on farms and how that's a big problem um there are lots of industry folks there and apparently one industry guy was like you know i didn't see this presentation but he was not happy with me pointing out that farms aren't regulated respecting animal welfare so i feel like anytime you can drive that point home and annoy an industry person mission accomplished
0: great good job camille way to go yeah now i know you so can folks- you, you can annoy people like nobody's business camille when you get in there
1: Oh, I sure, I sure can. I sure can. Uh, and, you know, speaking of annoying things, uh, it's your daily or episode reminder that you can support us on Patreon. You can support the Paw & Order podcast uh, to help us keep this event going on. We're now at $177 per month on Patreon. And that's getting us really close to our goal of $200 to to help sustain this podcast. So if you want to make a contribution, you can donate for as little as a dollar a month up to, well, the sky's the limit. And we've got various kinds of cool prizes you can get if you sign up. You can visit us at patreon.com slash order.
0: Fantastic. Now, we should also remind people to please, please leave us a review. We have been getting some reviews uh, lately on iTunes because it helps others find the podcast and gets us up in the very important podcast rankings. Now, Camille, we had some reviews, uh, which was uh, wonderful. And I think I'm going to read part of the review. From uh, one of our listeners, Dogs Abound is their, uh, you know, screen name. And it says, both Camille and Peter have such a passion for animal rights and a wonderful ability to call out people for poor behavior, including their podcast listeners, Camille. Uh. Yes, I'm guilty for listening and not reviewing. Well, no longer, Dogs Abound. Seriously, you should follow this podcast. It's great to hear a lot of news and behind the scenes information to how we treat our animals. I've been surprised over and over in both bad ways and good in learning about how we as as a nation, handle legal issues with our animals. Thank you so much, Dogs Abound. We appreciate the review.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to leave a review, we would love if you would do so. Like Peter said, it helps get this podcast into the iPods and ears of more listeners. And, uh, you know, another thing we want to remind everybody about is that as a listener of Pod and Order, you're entitled to 15% off orders at The Grinning Goat which is Canada's vegan fashion boutique. I love the Grinning Goat. I have several pairs of shoes from there. And uh, you can find them online at grinninggoat.ca. They are fully stocked for all of your holiday gift-giving needs and uh, anything that you need to stay warm this winter and stay warm in an animal-free, cruelty-free, compassionate way. So visit them online at grinninggoat.ca. And and with the discount code PAW15 at checkout, you'll get 15% off.
0: Now Camille, have ever- one more Ever since one more my,
1: clothing discussion, oh,
0: yes, yes, this is what I wanted to talk about. Ever since my birthday, Camille, when Camille got me the one and only Paw and Order t shirt, there has been non-stop buzz. Camille, wow, it, the buzz has been incredible. I think it's been like two tweets from like oh Paw, Paw and Order listeners saying, We want our teas too, we want those teas. Well, we are going to ask you to put up, you know, Paw and Order listeners, if you want some teas, we are looking for some. Our, our producer, Shannon Milling, and Particular is looking for some thoughts on t shirt designs, like what should be on the things. Um, I personally was thinking of a picture of Camille and I, sort of, you know, smiling or something along those lines. But we're, gonna, we, we're looking for our listeners to contribute ideas that they have, and you can send those ideas or your interest in a t-shirt to info at animaljustice.ca. And you can suggest anything from like what, word, what we should put on the back of the t-shirt, how the t-shirt should look, and we're going to take that into account in designing. I personally think, Camille, that the back of the t-shirt should have something like, where is Camille gallivanting to next? Something along those lines.
1: I personally think that as uh, if if that happens, I will use my executive director prerogative <laughs> and kibosh that design.
0: You're such a dictator, so, Camille. Nice try, Listen Peter. Listen to but... the will of the people, Camille. You can't be a dictator.
1: <laughs> well, our community really came through when we were trying to decide on the name for this podcast. It was suggested by a friend of ours online. So, uh, you know... Tweet us, email us if you've got ideas for t-shirt designs other than just our logo. We'd love to hear them.
0: Yeah, we need some ideas, Camille, because we are Animal Justice. we, We shouldn't even announce this yet, but we are launching our new online store in the new year, Camille.
1: Yeah, that's right. We, we had a store previously and we had to take it down due to problems with suppliers and reliability of getting those shipments out. But it's coming back. We're going to have a whole new set of T-shirts and apparel that you can purchase. And uh, we'd love to add a pawn order T-shirt to the store. So stay tuned in the new year for this.
0: Fantastic.
1: All right, Peter, I guess we're on to the in the news section. And as usual, there's a ton going on.
0: Yes, there is. And unfortunately, some of it starts in my own province of Alberta. We have talked Why in the past. Why is it
1: always bad news from Alberta? Why?
0: Oh, there's plenty from other provinces here too, Camille. But right now, it seems to be in Alberta. There is a... Uh, we talked in a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of an Alberta law to amend the Trespass Act and place in uh, new restrictions, all in a bid to clamp down on uh, essentially animal advocates who are uh, tending on farms and uh, doing so in a way that, you know, makes it hard to charge them with criminal offences. And the idea is that they will be more... More easily uh, chargeable with some hefty trespass uh, fines and punishments, Camille.
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh, the bill was finally introduced in the Alberta legislature this week. It's Bill 27. It, um, it does essentially what the government was promising and what it announced previously. So there's uh, much stricter fines for trespass, uh, uh, trespass in general, and um, with fines up to $10,000 for a first offense and twenty-five dollars for a second offense. So that's five times as much as it was previously. And up to $200,000 for a corporation, and jail time is possible um, as well. So that's a problem. But the most troubling provision for us, and one that I think is the most constitutionally problematic as well, as we talked about the Charter earlier, things have to comply with the Constitution, uh, some provisions say that obtaining permission under false pretenses to enter property is automatically a trespass and could be subject to those same fines. And the reason we find this problematic when we're talking about the prospective animals is that it could effectively uh, put a put a stop to any sort of undercover, investigation, whistleblower type scenario in the province of Alberta, which would be hugely problematic for transparency in agriculture and for animals, of course, themselves, because one of the few ways that citizens have to oversee what's happening on farms is undercover investigations.
0: Well, I think that's a a very problematic aspect of the bill. I I am equally, if not more concerned, Camille, with the fact that they want to go after the organizations themselves, it seems to me. I have not been able to track down. um, I looked before the show trying to find out whether the meaning of corporation extends to any organization. But it's certainly what worries me about the corporate-style laws is that they really, they don't want to go after the activists. They want to hit harder at the organizations that have any assets whatsoever. And most of these organizations fundraise and do have a certain amount of assets to fund their activities. And these trespass laws will... Essentially, cripple these businesses because, for example, one of the things is Camille. Um, there is the possibility of of a you can you can start a prosecution even if no trespass occurs against the corporation, so long as that corporation counsels or advocates um, these types of incursions on farms. So I'm I'm deeply concerned about that, Camille, as well. And again, for an organization like Animal Justice, we are a corporation in effect, and if Animal Justice um, were to support Um, an undercover investigation we'd be liable for a massive amount of penalties in the province of Alberta because the penalties are jacked up quite substantially in the cases of corporations and that worries me a great deal they're no longer going after individuals it seems to me the whole point of this law is to try and crack down even harder on the groups that try to do this activity.
1: This is hugely problematic. And we, we of course, are on notice that similar legislation is likely coming in Ontario if it has those same provisions. That effectively removes two massive provinces where animals are being used from any ability for organizations to do undercover investigations without a huge liability risk there. Um, It's a big problem. And, you know, rest assured, this is not the last you're going to hear about this issue from us. In the United States, States have passed egg-gag laws. Uh, Egg-gag refers to essentially putting a gag on someone attempting to expose cruelty on farms, coined by Mark Bittman, the New York Times columnist, egg-gag. In the States, many of these laws have been struck down as unconstitutional. One after another, they just keep falling. So it's potentially unconstitutional in Canada. We're going to be analyzing this in more detail, and we'll keep you posted
0: yeah I mean obviously it doesn't go quite as far as some of those ag bag bills in the states camille it doesn't um, it doesn't prohibit information that's been obtained, but nonetheless, I think you're right that by indirectly going after the the false pretense type trespass, uh, I think that is the objective once again it's to shut down workers who give any type of false information um, to get onto a farm uh, and that is yeah and that could
1: that could include things like not disclosing that you're a member of an animal organization, or that you're vegan, or that you are interested in animal cruelty. Well, Uh, I think that's right. For a journalist, it could be not disclosing that a person is a journalist. You know, there's a very strong tradition of undercover journalism work in Canada. Many uh, news organizations have flagship investigative programs, where they do this kind of work. And, you know, it's a problem not only for the animal perspective, but from journalistic perspectives as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's going to, a lot of that is going to rise and fall on what's considered a false pretense. But I think you're right that uh, farms and other agro businesses are going to be much more, I think it's in their interest to vet and ask as many questions as possible, because then they have some recourse after the fact to go after the, the, the now trespasser who provides any form of false information.
1: Yeah, that could all be used as evidence later in the prosecution.
0: Yeah, very, very troubling.
1: Troubling indeed. And um, we're talking about Alberta, but it looks like British Columbia is moving in some respect to introduce similar legislation. We haven't seen a bill yet, but there is an article in the Vancouver Sun uh, about a week and a half ago that indicates that uh, an MLA is going to introduce a private members bill proposing fines for trespassing on farms and food processing facilities, which I guess is talking about slaughterhouses?
0: Possible, quite possible. Yeah. So we don't
1: know what's in this bill yet, but uh, you know, I I I would strongly suspect that the farm community across the country is pushing for similar provisions in every province, and this, of course, is directly related to um, the backlash over more animal advocates sort of occupying farms and exposing the conditions.
0: Yeah, by the way, Camille, I should probably just say, I mean, we didn't make this clear, but I think it's worth noting that um the Alberta bill, of course, is not restricted to farms, right? It has it's not about it's not uh, uh expressly stated that a farm is the problematic entity or anything along those lines. And I think that's why um the section of the bill that deals with false pretenses should be of concern to all all Albertans, and frankly, as you pointed out, to media organizations that uh, have a tendency to do any t- type of undercover work because I think that that applies to every scenario of a business that's vetting an employee.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. We were it's one thing we were wondering about and speculating on before this legislation was introduced, whether it would be specific to farms or not. And uh, you know the fact that it's not really, as you point out, Peter should be concerning to every single person in Alberta.
0: Yeah, very, very troubling, Camille. Speaking of troubling. troubling. Speaking of troubling. Speaking of trouble. Speaking of troubling. I hate this story. I hate hate the story because the story is terrible. And of course, Camille, we'll talk a little bit about how the story is portrayed. Uh, Vegan parents in... Can I read the headline, Camille? Vegan parents charged with manslaughter after child starves to death in Ireland.
1: Oh it was Ireland, was it? Oh, okay. I thought it was Florida for some
0: reason. Oh sorry, I take it back, Camille. My apologies. I, I'm thinking of another Oh story. it's in
1: an Irish newspaper, that's why. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's because you know why, Camille, this is terrible. It's because I'm looking at it, it's an Irish newspaper and the parents are Ryan and Sheila O'Leary. So I'm like, oh my yeah. god, I'm just thinking I'm just thinking it's Ireland. I apologize. I apologize terribly. I misread that.
1: Sorry, Ireland. We're yeah. talking about Florida.
0: Got you. Well, let's talk about Florida. so, you know, a sad
1: story. A very sad story, obviously, because a child uh, lost their life. But there was a toddler, 18 months old, who uh, apparently passed away. He weighed 17 pounds at the time of his death, and his his parents were arrested and charged uh, with manslaughter. And the story goes on to describe how he died from complications relating to malnutrition, dehydration, and microsteatosis of the liver... And swelling of the hands, feet, and legs. Uh, the mother apparently called 911 when she found her child unresponsive. And uh, the story, you know, basically alleges it, it references repeatedly that the parents were vegan and talks about how they were eating. Um, that the toddler was still breastfeeding primarily and had not eaten actual solid food. And that the family is vegan and eats only raw fruits and vegetables.
0: Yeah, and, and and I mean the story is is of course uh, uh, it's a terrible story, and obviously it's terrible that these uh, parents starve their child like this. It's just what, what, what interests me about the story, Camille, and why we're talking about a Paw and Order, is the fact that the parents are, that, that the fact that they're vegan is somehow highlighted as a key element of the story. And of course, the implicit assertion that I read throughout the story is that this vegan diet is somehow dangerous for children. You know, and I've seen that before. And and what bothers me, Camille, is like stories of parents starving their children are not uncommon, like, there, there are other situations that, that occur. Like, um, sadly, they're not uncommon. And like, when when it happens in another situation, you don't see meat-eating parents charged with starving. You just never see that. Essentially, here, all the focus is on the diet, when essentially, the parents are, are essentially, you know, abusing their child by not feeding him properly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're right. Child uh, Children die regularly from malnutrition issues, unfortunately, and tragically, and from other Uh, you know, issues related to to diet, and uh, that never makes it into the news. But anytime somebody might be vegan, oh, guess what? That's totally the headline, because it's kind of fun to portray vegans as, as, uh, you know, negligent in this way, which I think is really disappointing, because the evidence all shows that vegan diets are totally appropriate for children, Uh, a well-planned vegan diet, as any diet must be well-planned for it to be appropriate for any human being.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As I joked, Camille, at the conference in October, um, you know, I had a picture of my daughter up there and I, I was joking how the dairy farmers of Canada consider my daughter a medical marvel who's like her bones are going to crack any minute from a lack of calcium from because she hasn't drank milk all her life. Like it's just the whole thing is so stupid. Um, obviously, yeah. it, takes, it takes care to raise a child and it takes thought into what you're feeding them. Um, and in, as far as I'm concerned, when I read this story all i see is terrible parents kill child like that that to me is the headline i you know the fact that they're vegan what bothers me about it is again i've seen these stories before and the word vegan is perpetrated over and over and over again as if, oh this day di- this diet is dangerous and i'm like it's not at least include information that says you know we're done properly this is not a problematic diet at all
1: yeah 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 i totally agree Anyway, very frustrating. I'm sure this won't be the last such headline that we read.
0: Sadly, no, Camille. So let's end off on a high note. And I can't believe, yeah. just like Alberta's getting all the abuse, Ontario seems to be getting all the kudos. Although, Camille, it's hard for me to give kudos entirely to a province that's simply getting rid of a stupid idea that they previously instituted. So only half that's kudos.
1: Right. Half kudos, but, but it is a good move. So there's a private member's bill now in the Ontario legislature introduced by PC MPP Rick Nichols that would repeal Ontario's pit bull ban, which has been in place for almost 15 years since 2005. So bravo, this is great to see. Everything that the evidence now shows about breed-specific legislation targeting specific types of dogs is that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's not about the breed of dog. It's about uh, the guardian slash owner person and how they react and uh, why certain types of people choose certain types of dogs and various other factors that have nothing to do with the dog breed. That's what contributes to safer communities um so you know it's, it's a really good move there's been just tons of discussion and court cases and a lot of anger since this bill was uh, or since this law was first passed 15 years ago and it's it's better late than never um interesting that it's a private members bill and not coming from the government i'm curious as to why that is i, I think the bill sponsor mentioned that there wasn't complete agreement in the pc caucus so maybe they thought it would be better to do it this way but yeah, i don't I will know. good say, question peter this the bill is not potentially entirely good news so it does two things it repeals the pit bull ban so that's great but it also introduces this new vicious dogs legislation into our dangerous dog provisions which says basically that if a dog has seriously injured someone it can be declared a vicious dog and then may also be killed um, huh. i'm still looking and thinking about these provisions i don't think i like them because i think they're redundant there's already ability for judges to can take to take control of dogs that might be uh, problematic and do various things to try to improve their level of safety, like training, like muzzle, like restraint, like like those types of measures. So I'm not sure what else we get with the vicious dog provision, but we'll continue to look at that and think about it.
0: Absolutely. Good job, Camille. That's definitely, look, I agree with you. I think the ban is good. Uh, sorry, getting rid of the ban is good. And, um, I also share your concern about all these provisions that impose certain uh, restrictions on dogs, because I think these restrictions are too easily resorted to, and they're too tough to challenge. Like, I, I think the laws, one thing I've noticed across the board is that these laws dealing with dangerous dogs are often too vague and too difficult to challenge for, for people who have real concerns about their pets. And anytime dogs get killed too easily by a legislative order, it, it worries me a great deal
1: yeah yeah that's 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 right so we'll uh yeah
0: That takes us to our, uh, that takes us to the end of the news and takes us to our main segment. Camille, I'm very excited about this, uh, main segment. This is an interview that I did with a wonderful international advocate. Uh, it is, uh, our good friend, Martina Pluta, who I understand, Camille, is a listener of this show. And that heroes and zeros is her favorite part of the show, Camille, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. And we are very excited to hear about Martina's very, very interesting work that she undertakes in Europe all right i am here for a lovely interview with martina pluda did i get that right
2: yes you did yes yes you did
0: and you are martina is uh with an organization in austria They're, they're based in vienna based in Vienna for PAWs. I'm very excited to have Martine with us. She is going to tell us a little bit about what is happening in Austria. So welcome to PAW & Order. This is your first time on PAW & Order.
2: It is. Thank you so much, Peter. I, I'm really thrilled because I've been following the podcast for a while. So uh, what a chance to meet you and to be part of, a, of the podcast. Now,
0: before we get into anything serious, um, you, you know our co-host Camille Labchuk, is that correct?
2: Yes, Camille is a friend of mine.
0: And have you met Camille in Europe? Has she come to see you in Europe at any time?
2: I met Camille uh, in Oxford at the Summer School on Animal Ethics. Uh, It was an edition on Ethics and the Law, and that's where we met for the first time.
0: Now, when she goes on these trips, Camille likes to pretend that she's doing lots of work, but between you and I, just nobody else listening, she's really just gallivanting around Europe, isn't she?
2: I mean, but why blame her, right? (laughs)
0: She's going to hate that, which is really the best part of putting it into the interview. (laughs) Okay, let's get more serious. So uh, Martina, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your work, uh, um, mostly focusing on legal advocacy or political advocacy involving animals at Four Paws.
2: Sure, so uh, at 4POS we do a lot of work to protect um, animals and we have really a variety of campaigns ranging from farm animals, companion animals and wild animals under direct human influence. And part of that campaign's work is to advance the legal protection of animals um, through the law. And um, what we do in Austria is uh, we do a lot of political campaigns, lobby work and legislative advocacy in order to change laws or to uh, have new laws implemented in all these different fields that I just mentioned. We have already a pretty good basis, so Austria is credited with having one of the best animal welfare laws in the world, but if you ask, of course, animal advocates, it's never good enough.
0: I'm very familiar with that, as you know, because we've run into each other at some conferences before. I used to live in New Zealand, and New Zealand liked to say it had the best animal welfare law in the world. And in fairness, some of what it has is quite good. And I actually, now that I've come to the other half of the world and seen how they do things in Canada, I do think they make more progress in New Zealand because they have a more open discussion about the issues in question. And I'm curious about in Austria. Like, I realize the laws are not perfect. What do you feel... How do you feel the discourse is in Austria surrounding uh, animal issues? And what I mean by that is, even if the laws aren't great or perfect, do you feel that there's really room to start moving in that direction?
2: Definitely. I feel like the public sentiment for these topics is really, really present. I think people really feel for the issue and they would really want to see more happening. So uh, I see, I mean, w- with our work, whenever we um, we do press releases or, you know, just communicate on several issues, it really gets picked up by media and people follow the, the conversation. Um, for the first time this year, um, so we just had a, a national elections. And for the first time in, you know, in the political campaign, animal welfare has been, an active topic discussed on national television. So all the all the parties sent representatives to speak about topics like I don't know, pig castration, long distance animal transport, um, you know, dog lists, and all these kind of topics. And then the nice thing was that we were asked afterwards to comment the discussion and, you know, kind of like give an idea uh, of whether the intentions were, you know, sincere or not, whether the topics were just misused for, you know, for elections to gain consensus or not. So I think for the first time we really saw also um, active political attention before elections.
0: Yeah, this has been a running theme of mine for a long time. In fact, we were just talking about where you we first met, which was... In, oh no it wasn't in Switzerland we, we, did, we didn't mean in Switzerland I in Barcelona right where I spoke about something different on codes but when I was in um, um, uh, a couple of years before I had written a paper which is one of my favorite papers and I still stand by it which was about animal rights discourse and I am of the view that if you're focusing on welfare or rights or particular aspects of animal law you're sort of missing the point and the reason I thought that was because my analysis was that most animal laws that we are dealing with today quite frankly are failures either for reasons of the way they're crafted or for reasons of enforcement but what i did say was where i thought animal laws could be useful was in setting the stage for greater discourse and i said that sort of discourse what you're talking about and what i'm seeing a little bit more in canada but not as much as you're saying is valuable itself in setting the stage for better laws what do you think about that
2: i fully agree with you i i I think um uh, there will I hope that at some point we will be able to, you know, like, crush this dichotomy between animal welfare and animal rights. And I just come from a conference in Denmark where uh, we've been speaking a lot about animal dignity as a possible next step to kind of bridge this gap and bring these two areas together. And I think that is a very, very interesting approach. Um,
0: yeah, I've always, started to interrupt as well. That's yeah. always been a big one of mine. I haven't used the word dignity, but I've always liked the word respect, which isn't quite as strong as dignity, but to me is certainly better than welfare, which is sorely a very neutral way of looking at affect and nothing more, and in a very narrow sense. Whereas I think respect and dignity is more looking at the thing, okay, personhood is, might well be a bridge too far, but this idea of dignity or respect can get to a lot of the way there in a way that's more, I think, helpful for animals.
2: Definitely. And I, I think we, we already know that welfare you know, serves, still, still serves the purpose of human beings. And I think it will be interesting to see if if we do move into the direction of respect or dignity, how that will play out, especially for farm animals. Because now, I mean... Even in Austria, we do have uh, laws that state, you know, all the sort of things you're not allowed to do with animals. And then there's the huge exception, you know, for the animals that are used for um, our own purposes. So that huge bunch of animals that are used for food, for clothing and whatever else. So I think that will be a very, very interesting area that will open up, I hope, in the near future. And um, that will hopefully be also part of this public discourse that you were mentioning. Because, I mean, I always see this, you know, people get outraged when, you know, dogs get m- mistreated, when, I don't know. Um, we've had this really funny thing happen. This guy posted a video of um, of a baby dolphin. that He was cooking, but it was not a real thing. And everyone got so outraged about the baby dolphin ending up in a pan. But how is that any different from, you know, uh, the cows, the pigs, the chickens? So Mar-
0: Martina. It's a dolphin. There you go. That's that's the answer, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. You know, and that dolphin would probably get you know the, the highest possible protection under the law, but not the pigs, the cows, and the chickens.
0: I remember it, this came up. This comes up all the time. But I remember many years ago when we were talking about whaling, and I was drawing comparisons between whaling and, you know, and various other things. And it was like, whales are special. That was the answer I got from New Zealanders who wanted to allow, you know, they wanted to ban all whaling. Good on them, right? That's the right thing. But I was trying to point out some of the inconsistencies in their position. That's what I got back. Whales are special.
2: Well, we seem to have this thought about pigs for some reason, but like... Turning it around in the sense that uh, in 2017 the Animal Protection Act of Austria was amended and um, for all animals um, the uh, castration was suddenly mandatory with anesthesia except for pigs. Just because the pig lobby is so huge and strong, and there is absolutely no scientific explanation why pig, why it's okay to castrate pigs without anesthesia, but it's not okay to castrate a horse, a cow, or a sheep without anesthesia, it's it's ridiculous.
0: Pigs are special. No, that's not the answer. Okay, um, so let's Unspecial. talk. Let's talk a little bit more. Yeah, right. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit more. Um, what are some of the particular issues that are at stake right now in Austria? Like, what are some of the big issues that you're working on there?
2: So um, right now we're working on, uh, well, pigs, again. Uh, unfortunately, they're like one of the most, you know, so the, well, they're suffering greatly, mostly mistreated animals. Uh, we have an issue with castration that is, uh, again, not with anesthesia, full slat flooring, uh, sour crates. Those are huge issues that we're having right now, but also the shredding of male chicks. So Austria has... Um, taken a step forward in the sense that um, the whole organic industry has decided to ban the killing of male chicks on the first day. But all the other producers, non-organic producers, still do it, still do it and that is a horrible practice we're trying to um, change. One thing that we've been working on, and it's not just us and it's not just in Austria, it's a European level. We launched one year ago in September a European Citizens Initiative, which is um, basically a, an instrument of direct democracy. For European citizens and it's basically a petition addressed to the European Commission if we um if if um if we manage to collect one million signatures valid signatures then the European Commission has basically four months time to react and come up with a with a with a proposal we were able to collect one and a half million signatures and they will be handed over to the Commission very soon so we really hope to see a big change for farm animals in Europe the petition was addressing the topic of um, cage-keeping and cage-farming for all animals, so laying hens, sows, uh, rabbits, quails, um, and uh, geese and ducks kept for foie gras. So I really hope to see big change there.
0: Now on a more positive note, um, well, I don't know, more positive, you know, whatever, a positive note was sent. I remember um, Austria got a lot of uh Kudos, fame, I'm not sure what the word is, for being one of the first countries to take real steps on battery hen cages. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how, how that worked out in Austria with respect to battery hen, battery hen cages?
2: Yeah, so that's, that's correct. Austria was, uh, was one of the first countries, or I think even the first country in the European Union, I'm not sure about Switzerland, um, to yeah, ban... It's those two. Yeah, it? they're always competing, um, to ban uh, uh, cages. And even before the European Union did and actually it's also the first country to ban enriched cages so this year actually at the end of the year with the 31st of December 2019 also enriched cages will be history in Austria and this is why we need initiatives like and the cage age to make sure that all other countries follow suit because um, what we see as a problem is that that the country is banning these kind of products but we have we find these products with imports uh, with everything that is processed foods they land in our supermarkets on our tables again so we need to have the same game rules all over the union
0: yeah, that's, you know, trade issues have always been an issue with this, especially in an open borders situation. I remember talking with Switzerland and like, you know, when, when uh, I talked to some of my friends, Swiss friends, and I'm like, you know, you ban cages and that's great. And you say, like, yeah, well, it's good news, bad news. I mean, we didn't have a lot of cage hens because we import most of our eggs. It's sort of that situation. Whereas Austria doesn't want to make the move on pork because pork is a big industry in Austria. Is that sort of how this goes or am I missing it?
2: No, no, that's, that's perfectly correct and the thing is also that the, there is no mandatory labeling for processed foods. So it's really hard for consumers to know what kind of eggs they're buying.
0: It's kind of hard, but actually I think you can assume pretty safely that if it's processed, it's that, that's always been my assumption. I mean, I don't, I don't eat eggs one way or another, but back when I did, I was always under the assumption that if it didn't expressly label that it was free-range, it was going to be battery.
2: That's true. That's what I tell people all the time, you know, because uh, if it's free-range, kind of, it, kind of, it kind of is an added value for the product. So every producer will, of course, state it on the, on the, on the package if it's not as you say it's probably caged yeah
0: and you can see that with marks and Spencer's and some of the others in the UK they do really label it first and foremost that it's uh, French cool and what are uh, what are, they, are there any other big big projects that you're working on well
2: we have uh, more like smaller projects also uh, working on companion animals and puppy trade. Um, it's a bit of an enforcement issue. Again, 2017, the law was amended, and um, the online sale of animals was was uh, really strictly regulated. Uh, but we still see um, some smaller, like uh, classified ad sites that are actually Slovakian or uh, from nearby countries that have like a .at domain. They seem to completely ignore the law, and although they are addressed to an Austrian, you know, customer base. Um, they still allow um, ads with puppies that are underage or not from um, registered breeders or not from uh, shelters and, and these kind of institutions. So we are um, now, we file three police reports against three of these platforms and the sellers and hope to see you know, positive steps taken from the authorities.
0: Now, um, one of the best parts of working at Four Paws is you get to live in Vienna, which is, uh, from what I hear, the most livable city in the world. I used to visit Vienna frequently because my sister-in-law used to live there, but then she moved to Cologne, so I don't get to go to Vienna anymore. How fabulous is it to live in Vienna and work on animal <laughs> advocacy issues?
2: It is really, really nice. I mean, uh, it's a wonderful city. Uh, as we say, it's like the most livable city for us, but unfortunately not for a horse-drawn uh, carriages. There's still horses in the inner city that have to, you know, roam the city with tourists, uh, and that's just such a shame. It could seriously be the best city in the world if it weren't for the horses.
0: Well, we are having this interview in uh, Montreal where you are probably aware that uh, horse calches, after a long, long tradition, I grew up and lived in Montreal for 23 years and saw horse caleshes for years, and those have now been banned. Uh, they are still, I think this year is the phase-out year, but they are phasing out. There will be no more horse drawn calches, and I like to say that to me is one of the issues we're going to win in my lifetime. I think that's a very winnable issue and one I hope will we'll win in Vienna as well.
2: I hope so too and actually um, it's such good news and when I heard about that I reached out to Sophie Gaillard and I asked her if uh, she could give me some you know insider info on the you know the phase out in Montreal because I really hope to apply that to Vienna.
0: Fantastic, Martina it's been uh, such a pleasure. Uh, I hope to get a chance to uh, visit you in Vienna someday. To be fair, when I travel on these things, it's work, 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 but it's it's not like what Camille does, but, you know, Camille is an international superstar who runs around the world and you know, gallivants. but that's neither here nor there. It's uh, I hope to visit you in Vienna. We can practice our German together, or I can practice my <laughs> German with you. And uh, I hope that happens soon.:
2: Klingt super, when du comes to uh, Gvier gemeinsamsam, uh, Wiener Schnitzel Essen, aber vegan.
0: Du hast veganer Wiener Schnitzel auf Wien. Super, super. We're just saying how there's a vegan Wiener Schnitzel and we're going to share one together in uh, Germany. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, Martina.
2: Thank you, Peter.
0: Heroes and Zeros. All right, now it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show Heroes and Zeros.
1: Heroes and Zeros.
0: We got a good hero today, Camille. I'm excited about it. I like the theme of this hero, and it's coming from kind of an unlikely place, Camille, I would like to say. It is the state of Mississippi. We are giving our hero today to the state of Mississippi.
1: Not typically a state that one would consider to be progressive on animal-slash-vegan issues, but here we are.
0: And they weren't, Camille, because this story begins with the state of Mississippi doing the kind of thing that, I don't know, other places like can we say Canada, Camille, has done, idiotic uh, rules about labeling foods. We've we've gotten on this hobby horse before, Camille. I hate these labeling rules. And Mississippi, uh, a couple of, uh, a little while ago, took up the same thing. They started putting in all these labeling restrictions, saying you can't have the terms burgers, you can't have the terms milk, you can't have the terms this, that, and the other thing. And it was all designed to protect the meat industry, Camille. And guess what? A couple of brave... Uh, uh, producers sued them, including Upton Naturals and a couple of uh, nonprofit organizations sued the state of Mississippi, Camille.
1: Yeah, that's right. They, they sued them over these unfair and undemocratic laws. And it looks like that motivated the state of Mississippi to back down from their initial proposals. So what they're doing now is they've issued revised labeling rules that allow meaty terms so long as they are accompanied by qualifiers like the term meatless or plant-based or vegetarian or vegan. Oh my so god, on.
0: Camille. Oh my god, like like How did anyone come up with such a compromise? Like it's just it's (laughs) It's just so eminently
1: sensible.
0: (laughs) It's like it's so hard to believe, Camille, that the dairy industry right now in Canada is freaking out if we put plant based milk. People will be confused, Camille. They might think they're getting their cow's beverage when in fact it's plant based milk. Holy crap, Camille. But they can do it in Mississippi, apparently.
1: Yeah, apparently it's good enough for people in Mississippi. So that's that's pretty cool. I mean, it it really is just a common sense uh, way of doing things. Put a qualifier on there. I don't think any vegan food company would object to that. And let us use the words that people commonly use to refer to vegan versions of meat and milk.
0: I mean, we've gotten on this before, and I'm just going to get outraged, because I, I honestly, of all the things we deal with, Camille, of all the real harms to animals, I would like to say that I don't think this fight over what you call things is really that big a deal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it's a huge deal if I have to call it my soy beverage, because everybody calls it soy milk anyway, but... I do think it just shows the kind of stupidity that is out there and the lengths that these industries will go to protect what they see as their territory. And I think when you have a state like Mississippi come along and go, you know what, as long as you use terms like meatless and plant-based, this idea that consumers will be confused, which is apparently... The consumer protection laws are what are protecting and driving this type of crap forward. It seems to me this is a perfectly logical solution that should be extended immediately across the globe.
1: Yeah, it just makes so much sense. But I have to say, I kind of love when the meat industry and the dairy industry start pushing these laws. Uh, The one that was initially introduced in Mississippi was apparently at the behest of the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association. And there's one at the federal level in the States as well. It's called the Real Meat Act, the Real Marketing Edible Artificials Tr- Truthfully Act, uh, that says any imitation meat, food, beef, or beef product is misbranded unless it uses the word imitation. So, you know, these guys are still pushing these laws. And I actually think it's great for our side because it gives us an opportunity to talk about the issues. Yeah, it's I think that's media right. media hook. It public discussion, public exposure to the idea that people are moving away from beef and meat and and milk and trying these alternative products.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I have never seen, I, I mean, I'd like to find the first person in human history who was actually confused, you know, after looking at the label like by any vegan product, literally. Like I've never been confused once. I've never accidentally bought a meat or cheese product. And it's like you look at the products and they're very clearly labeled as plant-based and they're trying to distinguish themselves from the actual product. Like that's actually their marketing strategy. So I I just think this whole idea is so ludicrous, Camille, that it's like, you know, I really think solutions like this, I mean, that's why we gave them our hero, Camille. State of Mississippi, good on you for settling this case. I I, I think it was a really the right thing to do.
1: Way to go. And our zero this week for every hero. This is zero. Oh no. We're going to talk about a really, really sad case that has been kind of going on for a couple years, and I think it's it's now concluded. But it's a case, a cruelty case regarding a dog named Teddy in Duncan, BC. And a lot of activists were were very active on this case and calling for the maximum uh, amount of jail time for the people who were accused of of this abuse. So. Uh, there was a sentencing uh, decision just a few days ago for a 62-year-old man in Duncan, B.C., who was convicted of uh, this this abuse of Teddy. Uh, just it's Anderson. On the Anderson Joe
0: is his name, actually. And since Anderson he's our, since he's insane. our zero, we should name him.
1: Yeah, he's our zero, and we should name him. It was a heartbreaking case. I won't go into the details in too much detail because it's it's really sad. Terrible, but he was terrible. found chained up with like a severely swollen head. And he died of his injuries while in the care of the BCSPCA. He was given a three-month suspended sentence uh, by uh, the judge recently. Interestingly, this was what the Crown was asking for. Uh, Defense counsel was looking for a conditional discharge, which would mean no criminal record. But in the end, there was a suspended sentence for 90 days and a lifetime ban on owning any other animals. And, uh, you know... Obviously, he's a zero. This is a horrible case. There was a co-accused who already pled guilty in the case. So uh, take that into account, too. But what was interesting to me about this, Peter, is, you know, I don't know all the facts and the mitigating factors in this case. But uh, I think that says a lot that the judge was only asking for 90 days suspended sentence rather than jail time. And I think it's something that we should reflect on and advocates should reflect on when there's this temptation to say, just throw the book at this person put them in jail for them a maximum amount of time. Um, There's a reason in Canada that we don't have tough-on-crime provisions in the same way that they do in the United States and that we don't uh, imprison people for decades for seemingly small offenses. Uh, You know, there's mitigating circumstances. There's lots of reasons not to cage humans while we seek to uncage animals. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that the judge came to the right decision in this case.
0: Well, I mean that was the submission by the crown. So, I mean at the end of the day, uh, it's hard to uh, imagine the judge going above that. Um, I, yeah. I, I, my guess is, if I had to guess, I'm guessing he had no record. That that seems clear um, I, I have some reservations Camille I, I wouldn't say that uh, I certainly wouldn't be asking for the maximum in a case like this but you and I have discussed before this idea of aggravated features as well and my view has always been that uh, where an animal dies as a result of abuse that has got to be a not only an aggravating feature if I had my way that would be a separate crime that would be the more serious type of animal cruelty because obviously if your cruelty leads to death You've obviously caused the suffering of the animal, and the animal lost its life as a result. Um, That would be my only quibble in this case. I certainly uh, would have thought that uh, a short jail term uh, would have driven home the seriousness of this and, you know, denounced the conduct in the community. But I'm not not per se um, objecting. Obviously, this is what the Crown thought was appropriate, and the court is going to take that on. But uh, I I certainly think, given the aggravating feature of the death of the animal, that uh, a jail sentence wouldn't have been inappropriate in these circumstances.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, reasonable people can disagree about that. Obviously, neither of us knows the complete details and all the mitigating factors that his counsel would have set out here. But I think it's important when we're reflecting on what helps animals to Mm. consider whether imposing a lengthy jail sentence or any jail sentence at all is actually in the interest of any animals, whether that advances rights for animals or their protections in any meaningful way so well, you know, I, just, I just offer that because if you're someone who was following this case and you were upset by the sentence it might just be an opportunity to reflect on that on that idea and uh, you know think about whether it mattered that he went to jail or not from the perspective of the animals
0: well that's always true of course I, I would say you can say that about any crime to a certain extent though you can't say it to yeah. the extent of any crime you can say well, well does it matter it doesn't heal the victim in any way right so I guess you can say that in any case but um, anyway I take your point Camille I think it's a fair point and I think the lifetime ban is the more important aspect of this case and I think the more we get lifetime bans in cases like this uh, the better it is but uh, yeah I think um, obviously the fact that he pleads guilty is good but uh, yeah the the Nature. No, no,
1: he, he did not plead guilty, actually. He, uh, he was convicted after a trial. His, his co-accused pled guilty.
0: No, I'm reading it, Camille. They both pleaded guilty. Yeah, he pleaded guilty to one crime, and she pleaded guilty to another one. So they both pleaded oh, really? guilty. Because
1: yeah. there was a previous... Oh, interesting. Okay, there was a previous story where he had testified, where someone had testified...
0: Yeah, I'm Absolutely. just reading what's here. It does say he pleaded guilty, and his co-accused pleaded guilty to neglect. So the weird thing, Camille, mm-hmm. is that he was he he pleaded guilty to causing unnecessary pain and suffering. That is interesting to me, Camille, because it sounds like a neglect case. I'd love to know exactly what was the nature of his willful causing suffering. Like, what act did he take? I guess it's the permitting. Hey, eh? I guess it's willfully permit because he's the owner. Correct.
1: Right, right. So yeah, he can be hard charged for us to know all the facts. But. Yeah,
0: I'd be curious to know what it was because usually in cases like this they tend up to be neglect cases. But obviously he was charged under willfully causing, which usually requires an act. It requires something active. I guess you can be charged with willfully permitting to be caused, but you still have to permit something to actually happen. I guess, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't really make a difference at the end of the day. They're all punishable by the same level, and I guess that was the plea they reached. But I would be I would be curious to know the facts of what he did that led to that case. It would certainly give me a more informed opinion as to uh, the nature of uh, the sentence.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a well-deserved zero either way, Camille.
1: All right, everyone, that's our episode for this week. We are looking forward to coming back to you in person with a episode where we get to record together next time. So In person, then.
0: Camille. I'm hoping we'll have a special guest, but we'll keep that uh, under wraps for the moment.
1: <laughs>
0: All right, bye. See you next time on Paw & Order. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today.
1: We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pod and Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite pod catcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show.
0: And if you can, please tell other listeners to share the podcast so more people can hear us.
1: You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash order if you like what you hear.
0: You can find me on Twitter at @petersankoff Peter Sankoff, or at my website, petersankoff.com.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at at Camille Labchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics.
0: And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Milling. See you next time on Paw and Order. <laughs> For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I R O A R P O D.com. <sighs>